Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. Well, it may surprise you to learn that there are 1.1 million regulations on the books, or maybe it doesn't surprise you because everybody complains about regulations, especially small businesses who can often be hampered with trying to meet the requirements of regulations, not to mention all the new ones that are constantly coming out. Well, we're going to talk to someone who's an expert on that subject. That's what he looks into quite a lot. Ryan Young is a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And Ryan, it's a real treat to discuss this issue with you. Welcome to Out Consuming Interest. Thanks so much for having me, Shirley. Okay, let's just talk about 1.1 million regulations. And how. what is the oldest one that's on the books? Do you know? Well, the very first one was passed by Congress in 1789, and that was actually a tariff bill. Uh, they had, didn't have an income tax bill back then, or didn't have an income tax back then. It was all tariff revenues from trade coming in overseas. So that was the first bill passed by Congress, and those were the first regulations. Well, please uh, tell me it doesn't still exist. Well, we have rather more of them now. But <laughs> but I mean, do you have any idea how far back actual regulations go? I mean, I gather that most of them don't have any sort of a sunset clause, that they can just go on forever unless somebody actually takes the time to change or eliminate them? Yeah, the formal code dates back to the 1930s and 1940s. Uh, the process, uh-huh. as we know it, dates back to 1946. But if you look in not just federal, but state and local codes, you'll see a lot of horse and buggy era regulations that are clearly from 1800 something. Oh, gosh. So that's kind of fun. They're regulating horse and buggies. and That doesn't apply to most of us. Um, okay. So when you, in your perspective, I suspect you feel that this is way too many regulations. What needs to be done. I thought the Trump administration had said that they were going to get rid of a lot of these old regulations, but yet it seems to me that they've also been adding regulations. What's been going on? It's hard to say because there's a huge transparency problem at a lot of agencies. The the general sense we get is that the Trump administration hasn't stopped the growth, growth of regulations, nor has it cut them on net. It's been roughly holding about steady. Um, During COVID, they, along with states, made a pretty good effort to get rid of rules that were getting in the way of the virus response or that were hurting small businesses that were struggling to find ways to stay open. Um, You quoted 1.1 million federal regulatory restrictions. At the federal level, the Trump administration said they got rid of 600, uh, but my own colleagues have found that the number is actually under 60. It's 57 at last count. So despite great effort put into it, those are the kinds of returns that we're seeing. Tell me how we get regulations. Is it passed by Congress? Is it passed by agencies issuing them about the areas that they control? How do we how did we get to 1.1 million? That is just astonishing. It starts with Congress, then it moves to the agencies. Uh, Congress passes a bill saying we want new regulations on environmental standards or labor policies this or that, you name it. Agencies then issue the regulations, and 1946 is the year when that process, as we know it today, was put in place. 
uh, that was called the Administrative Procedure Act, and it's still in place today. Agencies have to first publish publicly a draft version of a new regulation. Uh, if they're doing new food safety rules or something like that, they have to publish it in a daily digest called the Federal Register. In an average year, that totals between seventy and 80,000 pages per year. Good Lord. Every year. I mean, I mean what... I, 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 that just boggles my mind that we have so many restrictions. Do they ever put in a sunset clause, Ryan, so that they can be eliminated? Like they, they, they've got to have a useful life. Um, hopefully they'll be useful, but there shouldn't be, shouldn't there be most of these, some sort of a sunset clause that says, okay, after three years and this has happened, we're going to get rid of this. And that that would automatically happen. Does, does that happen at all? It does happen, but but it should happen for all rules. Usually, if you see a sunset clause attached to something, it's for a very special purpose regulation, like when the Coast Guard establishes a safety zone around, say, a coastline during a fireworks show or something like that. Mm-hmm. that will only be in effect for a few days or for the summer season where they have fireworks shows. Um, but sunsets are the exception, not the rule. Uh, we think they should be mandatory for all new rules, and then agencies can revise them, Congress can vote on them, even if it's just an en masse omnibus, um, we think these rules are okay. Uh, just to at least give agencies an incentive to revisit these rules, because they do go obsolete. We don't have horses and buggies anymore, but we do have cars. So the regulatory environment and the needs uh, for consumers and businesses and automakers are different than they used to be. Uh, so th- th- there's a built-in lack of flexibility, and frankly, a lot of agencies are dodging the very process and the transparency uh, that we've been talking about. When an agency publishes a draft version of the rule, that opens up a public comment period where you or me or anyone involved affected by the rule can comment saying, we like this policy, this one doesn't go far enough, this aspect of it is a bad idea, that should be scrapped. The agencies are legally required to take that into account, and sometimes they'll actually withdraw rules or substantially revise them in account to that. Only then can they publish a final rule, and then it comes into effect. But a lot of times, we're seeing agencies not go through that process. Instead, they just issue a press release or a guidance document. Uh, we call that regulatory dark matter because it's very difficult to track. And we think that so might- what they what they do then is they just they skip the whole process of notifying the public that this is coming up and then just say, oh, look, we've just decided this for you. Yeah, I mean, there have been examples of binding regulations issued via a blog post or a press release instead of going through that publicly accountable process. And there's nothing to stop them from doing that? Decency, but that's about it. <laughs> You're asking for too much, Ryan. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I don't mean to insult our government agencies, but I think the easy route sometimes is the one that you take. If that's that's um, the downhill route's easier than uphill sometimes. Um, now, is there ever at any point, or has there ever been a requirement for agencies to go in and look at all the regulations that pertain to their area of control? and say, let's do this, let's get rid of them. I mean, what I'm saying is, is there any oversight on this? Now, I want to take a break before you answer that. Um, So I want to know about what kind of incentives there are to get rid of some of these regulations. So let's just um, take a brief pause here to let our listeners know that they're tuned in to Of Consuming Interest. 
I'm Shirley Rooker. You're listening to Of Consuming Interest. My guest is Ryan Young. He's a senior fellow with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And we're talking about the effect of government regulations, 1.1 million of them, uh, which is an astonishing number. So back to my initial question before the break, is there any incentive for agencies to get rid of these regulations? There's very little, and that's where ultimately, if you want to improve a regulatory system, that's where the action is. It's not enough to update or get rid of this or that rule that might be causing harm or that isn't doing enough. You have to look at the process that generates those rules. You have to look at the level of institutions and systems. Right now, our system is broken, and we very much need something like what you're talking about, where agencies are regularly required to go through uh, their rules, 1.1 million total for, at the federal level, and of course, additional rules at the state level, and say, this rule needs to be updated. This rule is effective as it is. This old timey one should be scrapped entirely. Right now, there's very little of that. Agencies do a little bit of it on their own, but there's no formal requirement for them to do so. And would, it, would it require an act of Congress to, to pass some sort of a, a rule, a regulation, overseeing regulations, so to speak? It would. The best way to do it, since Congress, uh, regardless of party control or partisan dynamics, isn't going to do anything about it, the best way is actually for Congress to say, this needs to happen, but we're not up to the task, so we're going to outsource it to an independent commission. This has been tried before with military bases, uh, and it worked. It saved billions of dollars. When the Cold War ended, we didn't need as many military bases anymore, but no congressman would vote to close an unneeded base in their district because it would cause them political problems. It would upset their constituents. So Congress knew what the right thing to do was, and they knew they would never do it. So they set up an independent commission, the Base Realignment and Closure, or BRAC for its acronym. And they did four rounds of that. They went around, said, we need this base. We don't need that one. Put together one all-in-one package for Congress to vote on. And the congressmen whose, base, whose districts were affected could say, I voted for the greater good, blame the commission, don't blame me. We're going to save a lot of money because of this. <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice uh, way to, to uh, your uh, territory, isn't it? Um, cover your back. Anyway, so blame it on somebody else. But given the fact that it, there doesn't seem to be any movement to doing this, um, I guess the next best thing would be to have agencies themselves say, okay, I'm going to go do this. Um, can the president tell the agencies to go in, uh, no matter who the president is, can they tell the agencies to go in and start getting rid of regulations? Yeah. And, and going back to that commission idea very briefly, there was actually a bill introduced uh, just this year to implement a commission. And they've been the idea has been around since the early 80s. And Congressmen from both parties have introduced bills. So hopefully in the next Congress, something like that might pass. Short of that, yeah, the president can issue an executive order directing agencies, go through your books and clean out any rule that is old or obsolete or that doesn't meet certain criteria that I specify in my executive order. The president mm -hmm. can do that at any time, and frankly, they should. Well, it sounds like it. Well, you know, I think what I think of is I look at this from the standpoint of small businesses. How in the world do they keep up with regulations that may come out that have an impact on them? There's no public notice. Suddenly it's just decided and this agency passes a regulation. Um, 
how do they keep up? I mean, it's it just boggles my mind to think about anybody trying to know what kind of regulations there are that pertain to the business that I'm running. And I realize a lot of those will be state regulations, but I suspect there are also a lot of federal regulations. Yeah, at the federal level, so far this year, there have been, I think, 560-something new regulations that affect small business. That's already more than last year, and it's still November as we talk. Wow. Um, that's normal at the federal level, not even including what's happening at the state level. So to answer your question, small businesses can't keep up. Uh, What a lot of regulations do is they give a built-in unfair competitive advantage to larger businesses who can afford personnel who specialize in regulatory compliance or can't keep an eye on these rules. You can't do that if you have to keep your restaurant open and make payroll and work in the kitchen. (laughs) You just don't have the time. That's true. And it shows in how much it costs for a business to comply. Per employee costs for a big business are about $7,500 per year per employee if you're a big business, over 500 employees. For smaller businesses, instead of $7,500, it can be ninety four, $9,600 per year. I forget the exact number. But yeah. I'm talking about a $2,000 per employee per year artificially created competitive disadvantage for smaller businesses. And smaller businesses are are just such a backbone of our economy. I mean, this is one of the things that we do at Call for Action is try to support them. We help them if they've been defrauded. I mean, we do all kinds of things to do outreach to small businesses. And um, my my son, a lot of people that I know run small businesses. And it concerns me greatly when we start passing all these regulations and then they're they're struggling and running, trying to keep up. What are some of the most egregious regulations that are on the books? Have you got a couple of favorites that you think are just pretty awful? I think uh, what we're seeing right now um, is that a lot of them are in in the field of of labor. Uh, For example, restaurants who have had to get permits if they want to do delivery or takeout service instead of just sit down. And what we're seeing with a lot of the egregious ones like that is that governments are getting out of the way. We're not going to enforce this regulation. If you want to retool your factory to make personal protective equipment instead of, for example, there's a company in New York making drum heads for drum sets, the actual drum skins that you beat on made out of plastic, same thing as face masks. They wanted to retool. Usually that's a 45 to 90 day permit process, uh, which itself is egregious. Uh, That was waived so they could start retooling right away. You see things like that in Washington State, New York State, all over the country. Those regulations are not coming back. Uh, there are no upsides to COVID. That's about as close as there is that some of those regulations, whether it's for factories or for restaurants needing fewer permits or uh, permits being relaxed for people being able to work from home uh, when they weren't before, or in healthcare where you have telemedicine, that's going to be the new normal, I think, going forward when possible. Um, th- and those were blocked by regulations. So those are some things that are not going to change, but the general inertia of a larger system where you have 3,000 new regulations coming out, 70,000 federal register pages every year, that's going to stay, I think. That is an, incre- an incredible. I mean, does anybody actually ever sit down and read those 70,000 pages? Do they know what's in them? I mean, I don't know how anybody would keep up. <laughs> and I, that's only at the federal yeah, level we're talking about, right? Is it just as bad at the, uh, at the, the uh, state level? States tend to have fewer regulations, but they also tend to be a lot more targeted. Um, so they can they can be uh, 
much more invasive if you're a small business because when you have to get a permit for something or a license um, that can make or break someone's bottom line and those are nearly all state and local yeah that's absolutely i can understand that totally uh let's just uh, take a brief pause here to let our listeners know they're tuned into of consuming interest I'm Shirley Wooker. You're tuned into Of Consuming Interests. My guest is Ryan Young. He's a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And we're talking about what those 1.1 million federal regulations mean for your business or your, whatever it, way it affects you. Of course, tack on to that all the state regulations. Um, Do you particularly specialize in federal regs, Ryan, or do you look at the states as well? Mostly federal. Well, there's a lot of uh, (laughs) there's a lot to look at there. So you you have not seen. Would you say that the trends during the recent Trump administration have not lessened regulation? Sounds to me like they're just coming up hand over fist still. I think they've. They've had a mixed record. They did some good, especially with uh, COVID getting rid of what they said were 600 regulations, what I say are fewer than 60. That's still more than most administrations from either party do. On the other hand, his trade war has killed small businesses, especially in agriculture and in any metal using industry. The beverage industry is really hurting because of the aluminum tariffs. Um, He's ramping up antitrust, which hurts people in the IT industry. Um, and so it's, it's really a mixed bag. I wouldn't say he's had a net reduction or a net increase. He's kind of holding the overall Just level of emphasis Staying with the rest of the people. If you were given your druthers, how would you go about doing this? You'd set up a, an independent commission to look at each agency. Would you set up a commission within each agency to investigate its regs? What would be an efficient way to get rid of some of these? And would we save a lot of money? I suspect we would. We would. Uh, the two big reforms are the commission idea we talked about, because um, remember, we have to work with the government that we actually have, not right. the government that we want. We're never going to have that. <laughs> That's right. The so, reality of it. So keeping that in mind, the commission idea would be effective. It's worked in the past. Automatic sunsets for new regulations after five years or 10 years, the number isn't that important. Um, that'll at least require agencies to revisit a rule saying, well, this needs to be updated. Technology's changed in the last decade. We need to change this. Or this rule wasn't strong enough. That other rule was completely harmful. Let's scrap it or even just do nothing and it'll go off the books all by itself. We don't have to deal with votes or politics. Those two by themselves can save a lot of money. As it is right now, the average household in the U.S. spends between fourteen and fifteen thousand dollars per year just on regulatory compliance. It's baked oh into the price God. of everything that you buy, the food that you eat, the house or apartment that you live in. That's baked in, and f- regulatory compliance for most households. It's the single biggest expense that they have besides housing, your mortgage or your rent. Regulation costs more than people spend on food, or on clothing, or on education. It's very. Ryan, I, you have just given me some new information. I had no idea. I never thought of it in terms of what does it cost my family for the regulations. I thought of it in terms of businesses, but oh my gosh, of course the costs are passed on to consumers, aren't they? Yeah, the, to- the total cost nationwide is about $1.9 trillion. 
compare that to pre-COVID federal budget of maybe $4 trillion. Washington alone is about half again as big as most people think it is because of regulation. And a similar dynamic applies at the state level. Wow. Is there part of this reluctance to get rid of regulations because it's an issue of power and agencies don't want to give up control? Yeah. um, A lot of regulations serve as barriers to entry. Incumbent businesses love them. Um, You can even see it today with Facebook saying that they want Washington to regulate them, their content moderation and their privacy policies. They can afford to spend millions of dollars complying with these and hiring armies of content moderators because while they can afford that, the small startup that might take them down cannot. So a lot of regulation is defended by big businesses and incumbent businesses to use as a weapon against small businesses. And that makes them very hard to get rid of because every regulation, no matter how inane, will usually have someone who will defend it to the death. And that that means defending it in many ways, including contributions to political politicians. So the reality of that world is is one that uh, kind of slaps us in the face sometimes. So the best two ways to start would be a commission. And secondly, to require, and I guess this would require an act of Congress, to, to put in a provision that all regulations have to be re-examined after a certain period, a sunset period. That's right. And there's there are some examples that there are even some agencies that have that requirement. So it, we're not talking something entirely new here. The Export-Import Bank, which gives loans to Boeing and some other large businesses, has in its charter a built-in expiration date. So seven years from now, Congress is going to have to revisit it and decide whether or not to pass it again. That agency was founded in 1935, I believe. Uh, so 85 years of this being renewed every five to 10 years, uh, <laughs> it happens. It's still there. <laughs> it forces a conversation. It forces at least some reforms each round. Well, it, ex- it forces an examination of their very existence. So to me, that's a good thing, because if something is on the books and nobody pays any attention to it, but it's there, it's sapping the money from our economy sapping growth and yet it just sits there so yeah i like the idea of a requirement to to look at and to put sunset clauses in these things and there can be exceptions i'm sure um there may be something that you know you want to continue for a long period of time but it just it just doesn't seem that way well we only have about another minute any last minute thoughts for us ryan that's that this is a long game and we need to think at the level of institutions don't just get rid of this or that regulation that's hurting look at the larger process that generates those rules that's where real reform is going to happen you mean in terms of the of congress or the agencies themselves it's going to take all three branches congress the executive and the judiciary there's a lot of work to do and this is a long game that we're playing yeah and it's been building up for a long time hasn't it The the significant increase, I think, is what is so disturbing and how it just keeps growing. It's like regulations have a life of their own. I think you put them in a closet and they multiply. Um, But what startled me was you're talking about the cost to the average average American family, which you said, what, was something like $15,000 a year? Just less than that, yeah. Whoa, that's a lot. When you start talking tens of thousands of dollars, um, 
or at least over $10,000 for a family. That's, that's, that is very significant. Well, Ryan, thank you for shedding some light on a dark and murky subject sometimes. Uh, we've been talking with Ryan Young, who's a senior fellow with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. We've been discussing rules and regulations, all 1.1 million of them. And what might be a way to get rid of them and to reduce costs to all of us? I'm Shirley Rooker. You've been tuned in to the Federal News Network. I, you can reach me at Shirley at callforaction.org. We thank you for joining us. And Ryan, again, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much, Shirley. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.